Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello everyone, welcome back to Grace Life Duras. Very excited to be sharing with you today as we dig into the word um, at the message after Easter. So for those of you who missed our Easter message, it was so practical that we could not record it, unfortunately. We got everybody in church involved and it was all about how Jesus came to restore the image of God back to its proper place. Not only did Jesus come to deal with our sins once and forever, not only was he the perfect sacrifice, and that now he has fulfilled the law, he has fulfilled the requirements, he is our sacrificial lamb, he has made us righteous through his blood, he has cleansed us, he has perfected us, but he also came to restore the image of God. That which was unknown before became known, the perfect image of God. So when we want to know who God is, we have to look at Jesus. And we made it as practical as we could over Easter. Um, but after that, I realized it's impossible to record the message. So for those of you who missed it, I am sorry, but we're going to be continuing after Easter looking at what's next. And so the title of this message is really what now? Now what? You know, um, so I'm going to start with prayer, then we're going to get straight into the word and it's really going to bless you. So Father, we just want to thank you for Easter once again, as we celebrated the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that today as we get into the word, that again, Jesus, you will show us the wisdom and the revelation of who you are. Father, that I pray that the eyes of everyone's hearts will be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance, so that we may know your surpassing greatness and the power that is in us because we believe. Father, as we look unto your word, may it not be something that we in our hearts say, I've heard this before, I know these scriptures, but may we always come to you knowing, desiring, and expecting a living word that you speak to us now, deep into our hearts, and that that word does what only God's word can do. It brings full salvation to the heart, to the soul, to the mind, and to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So we're going to start by looking at Hebrews as we head into this. And in Hebrews 1, God makes quite a radical statement about Jesus. Okay, It starts in Hebrews 1 verse 1, and we see God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, this is Jesus, is the radiance of his, that's God, God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
Isn't that powerful? Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. You see, before Jesus, nobody really knew God. Not fully as he wanted to be known. And as I showed you on Easter, the problem was the sinful nature and free will of man corrupted the image of God on earth. And a great part of what Jesus did in forgiving our sins, in in taking that cross upon himself and enduring the shame, enduring the suffering, going through the worst death imaginable, was that he was putting an end to this old image of man and the old image of God and saying, I am restoring something that has never been before. Okay? But we can look at everything that happened as well and think in our heart, what does it actually even matter to us today? Across 2,000 years ago, in a country we don't live in, in an era we we have no concept of, to people we've never met and will never meet because they've died here on earth, how could that impact my life today? How does that help me today when I'm struggling with my marriage? How does it help me when I'm struggling with finances? When I, I don't know how to keep hope, when I don't know how to focus, when I don't know anymore, do I trust God because I've been waiting for answers? When I'm right in the middle of a storm and I can't see the end of it and I haven't seen it for such a long time. The question is, how does that impact us today? Now what? Great, he died. Yes, it's true. And yes, the open grave is empty. But what does it all matter? You see, many people, many good people have died for good causes. And yet, it doesn't have the impact it's supposed to. And it doesn't impact our lives. So we must stop at this question and ask, now what? Great, he is the exact representation of God. But what does that mean to us now? Yes, he came to fulfill his purpose and his call. And yes, he did it. But how does that impact us today? You see, I believe that the answer to this question is so important. And we have to think about the resurrection outside of our faith where we've heard it maybe many times before or where we've heard it maybe once or twice that it mustn't become something we see as a thing in the past something that just happened long ago and now we believe it because that's what people do who need something to believe in no You see, the same way we ask this question, we could answer this question. How can something that happened thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, how does that impact us today? Think about the invention of electricity, or the invention of the wheel, or the Roman roads. These men who invented this spent their lives on a cause worthy to them. And yet, their inventions happened hundreds of years ago, some of them like the Roman roads thousands of years ago, and how greatly today does it still impact us? Not the men, but their work. Now, if we do go and study the men, we will also be impacted by their lives. Now, if this is true in the natural, how much more when it's true in the supernatural? But the reality is sometimes the message of Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus has become just a children's story in our heart. Sometimes we get so familiar with it that it loses its impact. So we have to stop and really think about this. There really was 
a crucifixion. And this was invented by Rome as the worst form of punishment. Okay? The worst form of punishment. This was something designed to bring the most brutal death to a human being. Not only was Jesus crucified, but he was also brutally beaten. He was brutally um, flogged. Um, and if you go and look at this, just what they did, what did the Romans do to inflict the worst pain with a flogging? It will shock you. We must settle in our hearts and in our minds that this is not a children's story. This really happened. And we must realize that nowhere in history ever, ever did any human being ever survive a crucifixion. Never. The Romans knew how to kill their captive. And if they couldn't do it, and if they didn't do it, they would be killed. They were experts at doing this. Never before and never after a crucifixion was there ever a resurrection. The bodies of every single crucified victim can be found and was documented and is still documented in history today. Yet the body of Jesus is still not found. Jesus was not just crucified, but also severely beaten and whipped. Do we realize that he fainted when he was supposed to carry the cross? He fainted and he fainted because his body was going through a condition of shock. Go and read about it in medical journals. Because of all the blood that he had lost, because of the pain that was given to him through that severe, brutal beating, his body went into shock and he really did faint. That's why he needed help to carry the cross up. It was real. It was true. His body was truly broken. In fact, the prophets say that when he hanged on the cross, he was beyond recognition. No man could look upon his face and recognize that this was Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, the Nazarene. Okay? He would have looked more like a slaughtered animal than a human being hanging on that cross. When they put their spear into his side, both blood and water comes out. And medically, this proves that his lungs and his heart was pierced. He was as dead as dead could be. And this brings us to a beautiful revelation that when God said in Genesis that if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That pronunciation of death in the original is a double dying. A double death. Jesus died an extreme death. He was the deadest dead there could be. That body was crucified. That body did die. He died. Jesus did not live. There was no more life in him. And then he gets put in a grave. The light of the world put into a grave, the darkest of all places. Soldiers were standing outside. The Roman seal was put on that grave so that it would not be open. And if a Roman soldier lost that body, what he was commissioned to take care of, they would surely all die if they fell asleep on duty. They sealed that grave because they were so terrified that the disciples might go and steal his body. They didn't want a scandal. And yet, the disciples were nowhere to be found. They were hiding behind locked doors because they themselves were so scared. This is the reality of it. This is not a fable. This is not a story. This is witness accounts of what actually took place. And the good news is, people, the great news, the 
unthinkable, the miraculous and the life-transforming truth is this. His body is not to be found. That grave is open, the stone has been rolled away, and the news has come forth, we are not to look for the dead among the living. Jesus is alive. Now we must ask ourselves once again, after all of that, well, if it is true, if it is true, then what happens next? What happens next? I have to give you a practical example to kind of help you explain why it's so important or help you understand why it's so important to ask what's next. You see, think about any political leader, okay? When it's time for elections, don't they all make promises? They even do some of these promises. They do some things to say, look, I am the perfect candidate for this position. I will do this. I will do that. I will not do this. And I will not do that. I guarantee this. And I guarantee that. And then when they come into their position of authority and power, we see who they really are. The ones they've been elected, we now see what they do. Their first choices, first decisions after their elections is so important because it's t- it tells us who they are. And as long as they are in that reign, every step they make, everything they do is giving us a picture or showing us a reality of their true nature, not just what they promised. And mostly, as we know, most leaders, prime ministers, presidents, or leaders of countries or organizations can make a lot of promises, but once they're elected, they struggle to maintain or keep that if they ever even try to. The true nature then comes out. You see, Jesus on earth made so many beautiful promises, and those, every one of them, we have to now go and see what does he do after he now assumes and takes this place of authority where he has overcome, where he has bore the cross and the grave is open. What next? What does he do to restore the image of God? And it is so clear, and we're going to get stuck on this for the next few weeks. I'm just going to share a few short things about that. The first thing we see he does is he heaven declares death is conquered. Isn't that incredible? He starts his rule and reign by defeating the ultimate enemy of death, of humanity and of God, and that is death. Luke 24, but on the first day of the week, this is verse 1, at early dawn they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? For years and years I read this as if it was only speaking about Jesus. And finally I understood the angels were giving you a word not just about Jesus, but the truth about what was coming next. His rule and his reign would not be one of death. He is the firstborn of those who are truly alive. And they were telling them 
the angels were telling these people coming to Jesus, looking at a place of death, complete and utter destruction and death, not just of a human body, but of all their hopes, of all their dreams, of everything they had trusted. They were going to a grave. And what did they find? An open grave and a message almost too good to be true. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Look at Hebrews 2. This is incredible. We go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. I love paging the Bible. I could read it from my notes, but I just love paging for myself. Verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Whoa! Incredible. Look at Colossians. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 15. When he, when we were dead in our, uh, sorry, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having cancelled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That is Jesus. You see, we do not need to fear death and all it brings in every form it has because we can be bold because we are no longer counted among the dead. We are alive. When you receive Jesus Christ, you start your life by passing through death. You start by dying and then you become alive if you want to see it like that. Okay, because our lives are now found in this beautiful new connection to the Spirit of God that makes us alive as Jesus is the firstborn of many. So we follow in his resurrection, in his power that conquered death, the enemy of us all. How does this help us in today? How does this help us today? What we're facing and whatever you're facing right now is that you may know where there are areas that you are experiencing death, that you might be hoping for things, or you've seen things in your heart and it's just not coming true yet, or wherever you feel like things have been stolen from you in your past and it's dead, it's doubly dead, it's, it's so broken, it's beyond compare, it's beyond restoration, it's beyond what we could even recognize it in our own heart. You need to know and hear today that Jesus conquered that grave. And if he could conquer the grave of a double death, if he could conquer it and have total victory over it because he is Lord, he can and will do the same with you, for you and with you and through you. You need to move away from the feet of the cross. I know this is a Christian thing we say, but in reality, it's not where we should get stuck. We should get there to go to Jesus, but we should 
go to the open grave and say, my Lord is risen and nothing, nothing is impossible to him. You know, those women didn't go there that morning expecting to see a living one among the dead. They took their spices to go to the dead and see a dead man. But guess what? Guess what? God appeared. God opened that grave and God said, as the beautiful hymn says or song says, arise my love, the grave no longer has a hold on you, no more distinct, no more suffering, arise, arise, arise. This is your Lord, this is your God with whom nothing, nothing is impossible. Amen. Second thing Jesus does to restore the image of God. So first of all, he says, and by conquering death, he says, death is not my will. Death is not from me. Death is not who I am. Life is who I am. Life is who I want to be. I give you life. And you may know that in that life, he has already at the beginning, when you receive him, you receive the power to rule over all rulers, all authorities, all of them, because God made a public display of them at the cross. Hallelujah. Second thing we must know in the open grave is that God is a promise keeper. Say it with me. My God is a promise keeper. You know, in Jesus' lifetime, he fulfills over 300 prophecies. These are prophecies predicted hundreds of years before his conception. And over 300 prophecies is a very, very like minimum um, number. Actually, it can go up to the 400 to 500 prophecies that he fulfilled. If you go and look at it even deeper. Okay, why do we, why is this so incredible? Because the odds of him fulfilling one man, fulfilling just a few of these prophecies, prophecies in one lifetime is a complete mathematical conundrum. It is almost impossible mathematically for one man in one lifetime to fulfill just a few of these prophecies. Now, I've heard people say that, of course, it's easy to fulfill prophecies when you know the prophecies because Jesus knew the word. Yes, but how can you fulfill the prophecy of your conception? How? How can you manipulate when you are in a mother's womb? How do you manipulate the events of your birth? How can you do that? Okay, and when we look at these prophecies, and if you really do have doubts about this, go and look this up and you will see that these prophecies could not be manipulated in one person's lifetime to be fulfilled so that somehow we would believe that he is true. No, Jesus says he is the truth. He is the way and he is the life. Go and look for it, because if you look for it, you will see it's who he is. Look at 2 Peter 3 verse 9. So we're talking about how God is a promise keeper, right? He keeps his promises. Maybe in your lifetime, you've experienced some some things where you're like, I, I was trusting for something, but it didn't come through. I think we all can share a testimony like that, where we trusted for something and it didn't come through. Yet I want to encourage you, dear beloved of Lord, of the Lord, don't be moved by that which you thought didn't come through. Rather go back 
to the open grave and say, this is my truth. And I choose to believe God that you are good and only good. And whatever I saw or didn't see, I am not going to let my circumstances determine my view and opinion of you, God. You are a promise keeper. And whatever went wrong with that thing in the past or with my friend or with my family or whatever you've got that you're stuck on, you need to move past that place because it will destroy your testimony in the future. And say, Father, I choose to believe because if I look at Jesus, I see perfectly you are a promise keeper. You do not break your promises and you do not walk away from your beloved. Up until this point, people, the world had never known a God, a deity who would be personal. This is the radical truth of the open grave and of Jesus, God becoming flesh. Up until that point, no no nation ever, ever conceived this idea that God would be so personal, God would be so real that he would want us to touch him, that he he laid down his life and that he took it back up and said, now, even to you, Thomas, doubting Thomas, put your hands in the prince and touch me. I am real. I am Lord and I am yours. Isn't it beautiful when Jesus says to tell that when he says to the woman to tell the disciples, I am going to my father and your father. Do we dare to believe this image of God, an image of God so personal, so unique, so intimate that it is overwhelming. Let your heart believe it, beloved. This is your good father. Look to 2 Peter 3 verse 9 with me. In verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Wait, wait, I am wrong. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, there we go, (laughs) 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, amen, you know, in my Bible, I wrote in it, this is my daddy, he is willing, hallelujah, then I want to share with you a final thought on this, I have many more, but next week we'll go into more of it, is that God honors those who are not honored. You know, it's very strange that Jesus' body was placed in a garden. You see, that tomb was in a garden. And when he arises from the dead, and when that angel speaks the words, the first words about his resurrection, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? What are you doing here? Why are you scared? All those angels, you know, they all speak to the woman in the garden. Isn't that incredible? In the first garden in Genesis, the one who fails is the woman. The woman fails. And yet here, the first thing God does is he restores the image of woman and he says to them, you go and carry the good news. I love Mary when she hears the Lord speaking to her and finally she recognizes him. First, she thinks he's the gardener. That's not by accident. Then she recognizes him when he speaks to her and she clings to him. Hallelujah. Eve got it right. She stopped hiding and she clung to him. And he said, go and tell 
Go and speak. Go and share what is holding you back. If you're a woman listening today, there is godly order. I am for godly order, but I am against a manipulation where we where we think that we are not worthy, we are not enough, we are not called, we can't speak because we are women. You see, Jesus, the heaven, the heavenly host and Jesus, first thing he did was he honored those who are not honored. One of the greatest problems with believing the message was, or one of the challenges, not the greatest, but one of the challenges for the disciples to believe was that women bear the report. Because in their culture, Woman's testimony was not worth much. And yet God, knowing all of this, he still said, I will restore you. I will bring you back into your position and you can carry my message as good as anybody else. Carry it well. Isn't that awesome? I want you to take from this message a few things. First of all, that death is conquered. And if Jesus conquered death back then, he will still conquer death for you today. God is your promise keeper. No matter what you've experienced, he is not slow concerning his promises. He does not wish for you to perish. You can dare to believe in a personal God. And lastly, that God wants to honor those who are without honor. If you feel you are not seen and women, men, whoever you are, because you know the men also failed, they were hiding when they should be waiting for God in Galilee. They should have been waiting, but they were hiding. And so wherever we fail, wherever we miss it, wherever we feel we are not worthy, not good enough, Jesus is still calling to us. Jesus' message and heaven's message through God and by his spirit is still, he is willing and you are worthy. Because you see, the cross and the grave had nothing to do with our ability, our power. Every single one of his disciples, every single one of his followers who came to that grave came in a condition not worthy of it. And every single one of them left knowing he has called them. And that is enough. Father, we want to thank you for the beauty, the wonderful truth that we can experience you as a personal loving father as an Abba God, as one who chooses us, not because we are good enough, as one whose message is almost too good to be true. But if we dare to believe it, it can impact every area of our lives and transform us into this very image of a God follower who knows you personally and who knows and believes with every fiber of their being that God, you are a promise keeper and death and fear has no hold on us. For we are who you say we are, children of the beloved, of God Almighty. Thank you for everything you do and you, everything you did and everything you are still doing. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.